as we go about your word, Lord, that you would, you would speak to us. Lord God, I loved what Christos said after worship, Lord. That our heritage is you. And Lord God, more than that, that your heritage on this earth is us. Lord God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for this, this incredible church you're building, this multicultural place where the, where the picture of heaven is shown to the world. Lord God, we're so grateful for the incredible work you've done. And Father God, we say yes to you. As we delve into your word, would you come and speak your truth to us? Lord God, I'm asking, as I ask, ask so often, Lord God, is that people here would hear more than my words. They would hear your voice speaking to their souls. Make us big on the inside, Lord Jesus. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We are continuing with our ACT series. And I'm going to get this clicker right in a very short moment. And we are looking at, you read this past week, Acts 13 and 14. I hope you enjoyed that and got something out of it. We are going to be looking today at winning the war from Acts 13. Have you ever won a prize in a competition that you didn't know you were entered into? I've had that. So I went and bought a special brand of dog food. Fancy, first time I'm buying it, so excited, my dogs are going to love it. Soon after I bought it, they contact me and say, you have won a delightful prize of this very uh, upmarket container, ceramic container for your kitchen. I don't know entirely what that's got to do with dogs, but I was delighted. I didn't even know I was in a competition that I won. Very nice. Have you ever won a war without even knowing you were in a battle? Andrew and I have experienced that. So when we first went to Namibia to plant the church that is now Every Nation Vintook, we, uh, there was some oppor- opposition from the government. They, they weren't allowing churches in, and we'd managed to get our visa. We were super excited. We arrived in Vintook and starting the church. And we do what Christians do when they arrive in a new place or in their old place. We started getting to know our neighbors with the express purpose of sharing Jesus with them over time. So we're getting to know our neighbors, and we have this one family on the one side that quickly we got to know. This other family took a little bit longer, and we, we're getting to know them. Our children are forming nice friendships with their children. Finally, I invite them over for dinner. And at the dinner table, we ask them what we do, and it turns out the wife is an Anglican priest. So we immediately start talking about our common interest church, and we tell them about what we're here to do and, and how we want to impact the campus, and we want to see lives transformed, and we, we're hoping to uplift the nation as people come to know him. So we're telling her all this, and we can see her eyes getting wide. And then we mention the name of the church. We were his people in those days. His people became every nation the history of the church. So if you don't know about that, don't worry about it. But we, we said to her, you know, we're his people, and we could see her eyes had been brightening the whole time. Suddenly she got a concerned look on her face. And she said to us, 
you know the wildest thing. Is I'm not just an Anglican priest. I'm actually the head of the Namibian Council of Churches. And the government has come to me. And they don't want this particular church called his people in the nation. And, excuse me. And so they have asked the, the Council of Churches to vote on whether this church can be in the nation or not so that they don't have to, you know, kick us out, that someone else can kick us out. And she says, here I'm sitting at the table, and the Namibian Council of Churches is going to vote tomorrow about whether his people can remain in the nation or not. And I am going to tell them that we absolutely, absolutely must have this church here. And we are going to vote for you to stay in. We won a, we won a battle and we didn't even know we were in a war. We were just going about doing the things Christians do. And God was going behind the scenes and winning this magnificent victory. I know, I know. Who knows what God is doing on your behalf as you go about the, the, things, the things of Jesus in your everyday life. So when I was looking through Acts 13, the first part, this, this thought came to me. is the astounding victory that was won by Paul and Barnabas, even though they didn't cast out one demon, they didn't, like, attack a stronghold. They didn't go into this, this strong spiritual warfare kind of moment. And yet God changed the la landscape right there in front of them. What they did do, however, was go about normal Christian activities. And God worked on their behalf. They won a war when they didn't even know they were in a battle. Let's, let's read, starting... In verse 1, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the, Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them... The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. He was very subtle there. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. 
when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. I want to take us back to the very beginning of that scripture. It talks about this incredible church similar to our church in Antioch that is just filled with all these amazing people. It was the first kind of apostolic center outside of Jerusalem, the first major church established outside of Jerusalem. Different from Jerusalem, it's filled with all kinds of different people. It mentions Barnabas, who was from Cyprus. They were going to go back to his homeland. He was from Cyprus, which means he probably was um, ethnically Greek in How do you say that? He was ethnically Greek. That's good enough. Okay. And then there was Simeon called Niger. If you don't know any Latin, let me teach you a little bit. Niger simply means black. In other words, Simeon was a black man, probably from Ethiopia. We don't know where, but he was most certainly African. If you ever have heard that thing that Christianity is a white man's religion, there you have it in, bl- in green and white. I was going to say black and white. But in green and white, that that is not the case at all. Then there's Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in Libya. He was Libyan. And that means ethnically he was what would become the Arab people. And then we have Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. In the ESV, it actually says he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who was one of the Roman-installed leaders over the Jewish people. The Herodians, or those who supported Herod, were, were a group of people in Jewish society that, that had kind of um, turned away from the law, being strict adherence to the Jewish law, and had kind of embraced a pragmatic view of working with the Romans in order to have power in their nation. So he was clearly one of those. The Herodians were in direct opposition to the Pharisees, who were sticklers for the law and were trying to bring back strict adherence to the law. And there we have the next person on the list, Saul, who was a Pharisee. Are you getting a picture? In this church is an enormously diverse group of people, some of them coming from very opposing philosophies that Jesus had found and he'd reached into each of their lives and he had put them together with this conviction. It's almost like what Christo said. He said, I love your heritage. You heritages, you don't have to leave them behind. But as you come into my kingdom, I'm giving you a new heritage that, that will land upon your old heritage and enhance it into this new thing that looks like my kingdom. The interesting thing, they were so committed to reaching people from their their people, their original people, and from the other people groups in the area, that Saul changed his name to Paul. You saw it in the scripture if you, if you were catching all the details as we went. Saul is a prestigious name or at the time amongst the Jews. He, Saul was the first king of Israel, and so to be named Saul was, his parents were stating something about him, and it was a prestigious name in Jewish culture. Unfortunately, the sound of it, the way it sounded in the, the Roman world where he was about to go into, meant kind of an ungodly weak person. 
So, so it meant that if he was going to use that name, he was going to kind of probably alienate some of the people he was trying to reach. So he said, heck, I don't need that name. I'll take another one so I can reach more people. That's how committed they were to reaching every kind of person. You see, unity and diversity wins the war. There's something about the fact that you go to church with people who are different from you that speaks to the world of a victory so great that only the king of kings can win it. When, when you hang out with people who are different and, and you know, you have, to, you have to change a little bit to have a relationship with them. When you do that for the sake of the gospel, it's like a giant hammer, sledgehammer in the hand of God that smashes into the enemy's darkness. In the places where he's tried to bring isolation and separation, it speaks of a victory so big and so enormous that only God could win it. Unity in diversity wins the war. You're winning the war, my friends, in ways you had not imagined. As, as they go to Cyprus and they're journeying across this island, do you, do you all know where Cyprus is? You should go there on holiday. Apparently, it's beautiful. I haven't been there. But it's an island off the, in the Mediterranean, kind of, kind of there. You'll find it if you look on a map. And when they, when they go there, they travel across and they come to the capital city. And there they find the proconsul who is the, the, the Roman leader, the absolute authority over that area. And they find in the proconsul's sphere of influence, there is this man called Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, not the Jesus we worship, but Jesus was a, quite a common name in those days. It simply meant, it was the name Joshua in Hebrew. So he was, he was, his father's name was Joshua. So they meet this guy, and he is functioning as a Jewish sorcerer. And now, first of all, the Jewish religion had forbade sorcery at all. So I don't know why they even put Jewish at the front there. But anyway, he was functioning as a so-called sorcerer. Can I, can I give you some academic stuff that you can go and thrill your neighbors with and sound really, really intelligent? So that word sorcerer is actually the word magos. The plural is magi. Turn to your neighbor and say magi. This is just to make academics sound interesting. So, the Magi actually were a group of people, a class of people. And they certainly engaged in practices of magic. But more than that, they were wise men. They were often called wise men. Remember the wise men that came to visit Jesus? They were Magi. So this was a class of people, a a group of wise men of the time who interacted with the rulers or the powerful people of the nation as advisors. So he was one of these. And he was clearly perverting the ways of the Lord. He was advising this man in the wrong way. Now, how do you feel about being Paul in this moment? 
and Barnabas or Barnabas, you arrive there and there's this powerful proconsul who has all of Rome's backing. You say one wrong word and you're in prison. Maybe even dead. And there is this powerful individual who is using black arts in order to sway this proconsul away from what you are trying to tell him. The possibility of being intimidated in that moment is very high. Would you agree with me? I mean, the, the consequences of displeasing these people could be very dire. I, I faced intimidation in my life. Have you? There have been times when I wanted to back down and not say what I needed to say. I've been in meetings where the obvious truth was being ignored. And, you know, I felt like, hey, we need to say something about this. It took an incredible amount of courage. I've been in places with friends where, where the response to anything Christian, Christian was quite ridiculing. And that spirit of intimidation becomes strong and it makes you want to back away. It makes you want to not say something. But it's so interesting what the scripture says. Did you catch it? It says there, he looked, oh. It says he looked straight at him and said. My friends, that's how you deal with the spirit of intimidation. You look straight at it. You don't look to the right or the left. And you continue to say the things that Jesus has told you to say. You continue to bring the gospel. You continue to make known the truth that God has revealed to you. You continue to do it. You look straight at that thing and you say what is true. You see, standing firm in the face of opposition wins the war. You see, Paul wasn't trying to win a war. He was trying to be true to the convictions in his own soul. We know he continued to preach the gospel, although it doesn't actually say what he says, because it says right at the end that the proconsul believed the message. So that, that sorcerer was not just a sorcerer. It says he was a false prophet, which literally means a religious imposter. How many of you have come across a religious imposter, a false prophet? You know, we live, we live in Africa, and there are people called prophet all over the place. My stance is you, if you have to name yourself prophet in order to be recognized as one, you're probably not one. But even if you haven't come across one personally, you most certainly have heard the news reports or heard the stories of people giving vast amounts of money to religious imposters and, and being taken for a ride. You will also have heard, heard the reports of strange practices and wild things that have happened, eating grass, being sprayed with doom. You know, you've heard them all. You've heard them all. Religious imposters. People standing in positions of religious authority in order 
to fleece or, or gain advantage from the people that follow them. How many of you would accept a 150 rand note? Is there anyone here who would accept that? You would know immediately it was a counterfeit, so you would not take it. Because we don't have 150 rand notes. There are no counterfeit 150 notes running around South Africa. Would you agree with me? However, there may be a few counterfeit 200 rand notes around. Would you agree with me there? Why? Because we have 200 rand notes, so it's worthwhile counterfeiting it. You know, it's very easy to look at the false religious things that, that invade our space, the news reports, and say, heck, they, you know, the, the supernatural things they're moving in are just, are just pseudo-fakes. I am not engaging in that. And it would be very easy to just throw all the supernatural side of Christianity out and say, I'm just not going there. I'm not going to trust any leaders. I'm not going to trust any miracles. I'm not going to trust speaking in tongues. I'm not going to trust any of these things because I've seen them abused. But just as a 150 rand note does not exist, and we only have fakes of something real. Whenever you have a counterfeit, it points to this. The enemy is not going to counterfeit something that there is not a real thing. So in other words, all of these things, the proliferation of them all around the world speaks to the fact that there is a real supernatural God. There is a real Christian church. There is a real people who are endued with power that miracles follow us. And we cannot throw away all our 200 rand notes just in case they might be a fake. We cannot throw away our Christian heritage, the power of the living God living in us just because there are some fakes. Yes, yes. And I see, I hear it all the time, well-meaning people saying, I don't want to touch that part of Christianity because I've seen so many bad things. My friend, that's the very reason you must touch it. That's the very reason you must allow it to fill you. That's the very reason you must move in it. Why? Because we must show the world the real thing. We cannot let the world be deceived by the fakes. We must show up with the real deal, with the loving power of Jesus that transforms lives. However, it does leave us with a question. How do we recognize the fake from the true? Someone's shouting out at the front here, fruit, because you saw my slide, Goody. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus made it absolutely tr clear. He says this, watch out for false prophets. He, he was telling us they're going to come. They're going to be here. Don't be surprised. But he said, watch out for them. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Yes, we know that. We've seen that. By their fruit, you will recognize them, he goes on and says. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, excuse me, a bad tree bears bad fruit. Guys, it's not hard to know the difference. Honestly and truly, it's simple. You don't, you don't know the good from the false by how spectacular it is or not. You know it by its fruit. 
What is it producing? If you stand in next to a tree, you take one of its fruit, you bite into it, and it tastes like apple, then you are standing next to an apple tree. It's not complicated. If you, if you are standing next to a person and you taste of their life and it's producing fear, bondage, poverty, hatred, insecurity, then you're not standing next to Jesus. I'm just saying that. And my advice would be to move away from that tree. And yet, if you're standing next to a tree, a person, a church, and from that, you are experiencing life. You're growing in freedom. You are seeing lives transformed. Then you must know you're standing next to a source of Jesus. And you can embrace it wholeheartedly. Because it's coming from something that is true. So it leaves me, leads me, should I say, to another, another question about the supernatural and the power of God that has, that has come up often in my life. And that is our miracles for today. Do, do miracles actually happen and should we believe for them? So I am going to give you the Christian apologetics for miracles. That's just a big word for saying I'm going to show you why they are true. I am going to give you the logic statement. At the same time, if I can get this clicker right, the scripture supporting that logic statement is going to come up on the screen. Okay, you ready? Are miracles for today? Let's start at the very beginning. If this universe has a beginning, as scientists tell us in the Big Bang, then it must have had a beginner. Something must have acted on the nothingness to produce something because nothing doesn't spontaneously become something. There must have been a beginner. We call that beginner... God. He has revealed himself to the world through the Jewish culture, the ancient Jewish culture, as Yahweh, as God. Yahweh is God. There is no other. You're tracking with me so far. If Yahweh, the God we serve, can produce something out of nothing, he can pretty much do anything. Would you agree with me? He doesn't need something to produce something. Which means miracles are possible. This great God who can do anything he wants to has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. He has come to earth and manifested in himself in all his fullness in Jesus Christ. The Son is the exact representation of God's being. We have a picture of him to work with. This Jesus, who is the exact representation of the creator God here on earth, did what would be expected of God in the flesh. He did miracles 
He followed the purposes of God and he did whatever he wanted by displaying powerful miracles. Bam. Believe that Jesus and the Father are one on evidence of the miracles. He said it. I'm showing you that I'm God by virtue of what I'm doing. Because only God can create something out of nothing. To be born again. To be born, go, to be born again means that one is inhabited by the Spirit of Jesus. That very one who is God and can, can do whatever he wants. That means that you are dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It means that the spirit of the living God in you, who created the world out of nothing, who can do anything he wants, who is represented by Christ on earth, can work miracles through you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Not only can he do miracles through you, there's an expectation on your life that he would do miracles through you. The demonstration that God is the creator of the universe, that he has come to earth to reveal himself to mankind in Christ Jesus is evidenced by the miracles that happen through your life. It speaks to the world that there is a creator God who came to find them. Yes, miracles are for today. Amen. You see, knowing miracles are for today wins the war. Because you see, we can't actually do this without some miraculous intervention from the living God. Paul knew that. And when he's faced with the opposition, can you see that he, he doesn't come with persuasive words of wisdom? He's not arguing with this Elimas guy. He's not arguing with the proconsul. He's standing his ground on the truth he knows, and he turns to this man, tells him the truth, and then he does something spectacular. How, how did Paul come to know Jesus? Do you remember? He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, was blinded for a season, and became a Christian in light of that experience. This is the first time we actually see Paul evangelizing. I mean, what experience does he have? The only thing he knows is that when you go blind, you meet Jesus. I mean, it's the only thing he knows. And he's standing in front of this guy and he's like, heck, it worked for me. I'm going to, I'm going to try it on you. And he says, you will be blind for a season. But can you see the conviction with which he stands in the fact that he's serving a miraculous God? He's serving a supernatural God that is determined to interact with our natural world to reveal his interest in you. Unequivocally, unequivocally, he is absolutely certain that God will bring about a miracle to prove the point that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, we win the war that we didn't even know we were in. 
by pressing into our diverse unity, allowing God to reveal to the world that he has made us one, not only with him, but with one another, by confronting deceptive intimidation with truth, by not backing down, and last of all, by believing in miracles today. When we do this, when we consistently do this, no matter what the opposition against us, no matter what the difficulties, God will win the war on our behalf. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. As we, as we conclude the service, my friends, I want to pray. And you know, there's, there's something I first want to pray. I want to pray for our unity. There is there's a way in which the enemy is constantly at work to try and bring division. It's one of his primary, primary tools in halting the church in her tracks. So I'm going to ask us all to stand. You know, when I was a young Christian, the man who was leading the church that I joined was always making us hold hands. It was so irritating to me. I was like, I don't even know these people. I don't know if they washed their hands. <laughs> However, it, over time, I, I came to appreciate the practice, and I didn't die one time. It was amazing. I lived through every, every, every episode. So I'm going to ask, as a sign of our unity... Can we just take the hands of the people to the right and left of us? So, so I think you're going to have to go over there. And I, I want us to recommit our hearts to the unity of Christ's kingdom. And guys, when we're committing to this, what we're saying is, God, we know offenses are going to come. We know difficulties are going to come. But right now, we're already making a commitment to forgive where necessary, to work through things where necessary, to speak up where necessary, to be committed to this body and to be committed to her forward momentum through our contributions. So can we pray this together? You can follow after me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made us, you made us one. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to presenting to the world the beauty of your victory through our unity. Thank you, Lord. Father, help us to overcome offense, unforgiveness, and even injury, Lord. Come and build this church your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stay standing. The next thing I, I want to pray, God, you can let go hands. The awkward moment is over. High five your neighbor and said, we made it. You know, 
Guys, I want to be in the company of big Jesus people. What I mean by that is people who don't waver in their convictions. People who stand firm on the knowledge of what Jesus has done for them. And guys, you know, we all have doubts. I, I understand that. So please, if you're having doubts, don't mean that disqualifies you. But what it does mean is, despite those doubts, I'm going to stand on what I know to be true. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to speak to people, even in the face of rejection. And so I'm hoping that every one of you have that same desire in your heart. Whether it's fully there or not, all I'm asking, of, or asking for is let's desire that. Let's desire to be that, those kinds of people. And let's, let's walk into it, that by the power of His Spirit. So I want to pray a prayer for boldness over all of you. I'm going to ask if you can just raise your hand or just in some way indicate that you're receiving something from the Spirit. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we, we're reading Acts, and Lord God, we want that. We want that in our midst, Lord. Holy Spirit, we come to you and we ask, like you did for, for the disciples over and over, would you fill us again by the power of your Spirit? Would you energize us with boldness? Would you clear our minds from all the lies of the enemy that are trying to keep us from our destiny? Holy Spirit, would you make us bold? Would you make us confident in the things of God? Lord God, we want to be those people. We want to fearlessly speak the truth that you've given us. Lord God, not in an ugly way, but in love. But Lord God, nonetheless, we want to speak it at every opportunity. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you fill us again? Thank you, Lord. You know, some of you are feeling just like a fieriness in your soul. That's Jesus just saying yes. That's what a, a yes from heaven sounds like. Can you just embrace it? It's like, it's like a giant hug from the creator of the universe. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And a story has come to mind. So please keep stepping. Sit down, and I'm going to make you stand up afterwards. Is that okay? This is like a very long closure of the sermon. I had this practice many years ago, and I've continued it intermittently since then. But I would wake up every morning, and I would ask God to tell me something about someone I was going to meet that day. And I would write it down in my journal. And one day I woke up, just had this picture of a, a local kind of fruit and veg place that was close to us. And, and just, I mean, it wasn't like, a, there wasn't like a vision, you know, like angels and trumpets all around and, you know, could see it with my eyes. Just like an impression in my soul of this, this grocery vegetable place and of, of a lady with her back to me standing in front of the spice counter. And just a feeling of loneliness. And I felt like, I felt like I wanted to tell her that she's not alone, that God knows her. So I wrote it in my journal, closed it, went about my day. But I thought, you know, heck, I may as well go to this place and see what happens. I arrive and walk in that place, and there in front of the spice rack is a, 
a little Indian lady standing. And I mean, if you're Indian, you know that you never have to deliberate about which spice to buy. I mean, you are raised on spices. <laughs> Nonetheless, she was just standing there, not doing anything. So I just went and stood next to her, and I used the only opening line I could think of. I don't know what spice to buy. Can you help me? I mean, she jumped into action. She told me about this one, that one, the hero, how to use it. She even gave me a biryani recipe. I mean, she was just like, she was in it. She was in it. And then after we talked for a while, I turned to her and I said, you know, I was praying this morning and I felt like I was going to meet someone like you. And I felt like God wanted to tell you that you're not alone, that he sees you and he knows you. You know, she nearly fell on the floor in a puddle of tears. She didn't. That would have been another story. But she just turned to me and she said, you know, I've just moved to, to Joburg from Durban and I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. I took her number and we corresponded for a while. I was able to share the gospel with her. I was able to talk her through um, just how God sees her and knows her. Um, I've lost contact with her since then. I'm trusting that God used all of that to bring her closer to Jesus and to to reveal the goodness of God to her. But I guess what I want I want you to know is that the possibilities of what God could do for you in the opportunities of sharing the truth that you carry are endless. Let's on a daily basis believe for opportunities to do that. Because they are lonely, hurting, damaged people out there that are just waiting to hear the message that we carry. Lord, give us boldness. So the last thing I want to pray, can you stand up again? You didn't go to gym this week. I'm just helping you out. I don't want to pray for people to experience miracles today. Really, I don't want to pray for that. I want to pray for you to do miracles. How do you feel about that? So I want to ask you to think of someone you know who needs a miracle. Can you think of them? Just bring them. You might have more than one. Just bring them in your mind. I have a family member just diagnosed with cancer. She's right in front of me right now. So I want us to believe for a miracle for that person or those people. So I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to finish off the prayer. But I want you to just center yourself with Jesus, bring this person, and out loud, in a language you can understand, I want you to pray by name for this person for a miracle for them. Go ahead and do that. Lord, I want to agree 
with every prayer that has been prayed here today. Lord God, every name that has been named, every person that's come as a picture into their minds, Lord God, I stand with them. We stand together and we ask for these miracles. Lord God, we ask that these people will experience the power of God in a way that unequivocally says to them, God sees me, God knows me, God has a plan for my life. Lord God, I pray with the miracle would come the conviction that they need to know Jesus. Lord God, I pray that these miracles would drive these people to you, into your arms of love. Holy Spirit, I'm praying and agreeing with every single person here that that this radical, radical impact of your power on these lives will bring them to Christ, will bring them closer to you if they know Christ, Lord God, would make them more effective in reaching others if they're already in your church, Lord God. Lord God, we cry out for this in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, give the Lord a hand. You prayed the, the prayer, your neighbor heard you, Jesus heard you, and so I'm trusting that this week you will get a chance to physically pray that for that person. I'm going to ask you to look for opportunities for that. Let's see what God will do. Come and tell us what he does through you. You were born for this. You were born for this. The last thing I want to do, I just, I want to ask if there is anyone here that as I've been speaking, you, you know in your heart that you're far from God. You know, you might be have been coming to church or not coming to church, but you, you know that deep down your relationship with God has been damaged or it has been non-existent. And you want to, you want to say yes to Jesus so that he can bring you back into that intimate relationship with God, that he can save you, he can change you, that you can be born again and the spirit of the living God can come and live inside of you. I'm going to ask us as a church to pray together. And if you, if you are in that category that I've mentioned, can you pray this with meaning from your heart? So let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I acknowledge that you are the only way for, for me to be reconciled to the living God. Lord, I repent and turn away from my sinful ways of living. And I turn to you. Lord, would you come and save me? Would you set me free? Would you make me new? Would you be my Lord and Savior? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you prayed that and you meant that, it might not be the first time you prayed it, but it's, it's a particular, it means something for you this morning. We would love to journey with you and walk with you and help you become strong in your faith. And if that's you and you did that, I would love you to raise your hand so we can acknowledge you, we can celebrate with you, and we can walk with you. So if you prayed that prayer for the first, first time or this was a meaningful time for you, you prayed it before, but this was the first time you really understood it and meant it as a new step in your life. If that's you, won't you raise your hand? Is there anyone here who did that? Is there anyone here? Yes, thank you. Thank you, I see you. Is there anyone else?
Awesome. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to do a brave thing. Won't you just grab your stuff and come out here to the front so we can celebrate you with you and just acknowledge you and I can pray for you. Give, give that gentleman a hand and anyone else who comes forward. We see you, sir. Come and I'm right here so that I can reach you. Let's extend our hands. Lord, we pray for this man. Lord God, we just declare over him every good thing. We just speak into his soul. You will live and not die. We speak into us his soul. You belong. You have a family. We speak into his soul a new creation. Everything made new. Nothing the same. In Jesus' name. Lord God, we speak salvation, peace, and life over him. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Fill him, Lord, with the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Sir, I don't like your soccer team, but I really like you. Before you go, there's a gentleman over here who's got some material he'd like to give you. Just pray with you. You can just go with him. Thank you so much, Eugene. Give them a hand as they go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.